0: Welcome back to the Backyard Professor videos. you know notice I've got my mommy Python shirt on. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> and since I did that uh, book review of the historical Jesus and kind of giving us a bearing on possible sources to begin our study of the New Testament, I thought it might be fun to follow that up with with a specific issue of a historical Jesus. This is a paper I wrote, oh, a month or so ago and pu- published it on a message board. And I thought this would make a good video. Jesus as tecton. Jesus as a carpenter, was he? Mark 6, verse 3, describes how the group in his hometown was blown away with his wisdom, the Greek word is Sophia here, very interesting, in preaching at the synagogue, and the miracles, the Greek word is dunamis, meaning power, miracles, that he had performed while he was at the synagogue. They are exasperated and they ask in a stunned manner, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, historically, he just doesn't seem to fit the in-crowd. We find ourselves today in the exact same position as they did then. The great historical Jesus scholar, Albert Schweitzer, at the very conclusion of his magisterial analysis of the historical Jesus, noted that, quote, "...our relationship to Jesus is ultimately of a mystical kind." No personality of the past can be transported alive into the present by means of historical observation or by discursive thought about his authoritative significance." Yet we can expand our awareness here of Jesus historically by a number of different means Archaeological, historical, scripturally exegetical, uh, literary creations, etc., of which this particular theme is claimed to be, this Jesus theme. We know, thanks to Greek exegetical methods, that tekton can mean in general fashion a woodworker, a, a carpenter, a metalworker, Or even a stonemason, or some sort of other craftsman, work some of which were plausible for Jesus. Raymond Brown notes it could mean that Joseph and Jesus were builders, so that both carpentry and masonry would have been among their skills. While we have the literary topoi to compare and contrast in Jesus' day, there were several role models or rather categorizations which his audiences could use to make sense of what they saw and heard when interacting with Jesus. And it depends on how they understood the categorizations on how they heard Jesus. What we are curious about is why Mark chose, if it is his creation now, as some scholars claim, Why did he choose to connect Jesus to being a tecton? In this specific case, an actual carpenter, apparently in Nazareth, his hometown. And we have some interesting archaeological information on Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, which helps give a focus on this particular tecton issue and of its value. Jesus' position as the woodworker of Nazareth would have assured him a modest but average standard of living compared with most of the other Jews in the Galilean countryside. His socioeconomic status as well as his status as a pious Jewish layman from a pious Jewish family would have also assured him that... He would have a modicum of honor in society without which ordinary people would have found existence very difficult. However, we have a difficulty here with Nazareth. First century Nazareth was a small Jewish settlement with no more than two or three hundred inhabitants. John Dominique Croissant, Further notes that there was no kind of fortification, or paved streets, or any kind of actual stone masonry as the overlaid modern Nazareth has from the creation of later zealous Christian crusade and Byzantine missionaries. There is nothing of any kind of public works either. So Jesus could hardly have been a carpenter here in Nazareth of all places, it's more of a peasant village with vineyards on the hillsides and wine presses. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament indicates the idea that in the Gospels, the crowds Jesus interacts with are more blind than we get on the surface level. And this is an important theme in the Gospel of Mark. This is not because they fail to perceive the virgin birth, but because they think they have said all that there is to be said, whereas they have not even touched as yet on the true mystery of the origin of Jesus. The biblical scholar Dale C. Allison Jr. probably said it best, Context here affects what one deems possible, appropriate or desirable to discuss, and speakers will add or subtract and distort in order to please and entertain as well as to forestall negative reactions. The Gospels do present Jesus as a wandering preacher and healer and magician. In this context, a new archaeological discovery of a house in Nazareth dating to Jesus' day does indicate dwelling there, of course. But more interestingly discovered is the first century synagogue at Magdala. And this is just a stone's throw away from Nazareth. It was in use between 50 B.C. and A.D. 67. Matthew 15:39 states, after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Oria Magadan. Other ancient authorities read Magdala or Magdalon. Now, this is located just 6 miles south of Capernaum. Jesus' base of operation during his ministry, according to Matthew 4.13. So Magdala was a thriving economic center in the first century. Magdala was also the center of an international fish export business. The first century synagogue consisted of two large rooms, a vestibule and a reading room, and one smaller room. A mosaic was on the floor and colorful frescoes covered the walls. Archaeologists believe the table was used as a place upon which to put the Torah scroll for public reading. And in Mark, the context shows that the Sophia, the wisdom, refers to Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. But Nazareth itself was probably a small and not very well to do village. As a member of a family of a tecton, in a period of relative quiet, we can envisage an upbringing which was not poverty stricken, but familiar with poverty. Jesus is never described as poor. Other archaeological discovered synagogues before 70 AD are also found at Gamla and Masada and at Herodium. All that to say, Jesus could have been employed or worked in surrounding areas with his skill as tecton. One reason the literary background appears to loom concerning this tecton theme is due to the nature of archaeological work which will not help one to know what Jesus said or did or what the Gospel of Mark fabricated. It will and does help to describe and understand the world and the context into which we must place our texts and our reconstructions. Nazareth is only about six kilometers from Sepphoris, a city which had been completely destroyed in 4 B.C. by the Syrian legate Quintilius Varus. Herod Antipas, 4 B.C. to 39 B.C., initially constructed it as his capital before he founded Tiberias as a new capital of Galilee around 19 of the Common Era. Excavations show that Sepphoris was a flourishing city with a Hellenistic Jewish stamp. Whether the great theater, which contains 5,000 people, was built under Antipas, that is disputed. At all events, in his youth, Jesus grew up within the sphere of influence of a Hellenistic city. As he was a tecton, a craftsman like his father, he possibly took part in the construction of Sepphorus. More interestingly, most of his, that is Jesus' followers, will have been active in agriculture. Fishermen and craftsmen are the exceptions, so that is the reason why we hear of them. Like his father, Jesus was a tecton. Well, according to Justin, in his dialogue with Trifo, that is someone who makes plows and yokes. Other evidence suggests work with wood or stone. A craftsman, that will especially come to mind in the case of Palestine, because Palestine is short on wood. Well, Mark may well have presented Jesus as a tecton for a further illustration of his own understanding of Jesus for his readers. Robert Price points out an idea of Gaze of Vermes that this could well be alluding to a contemporary scribal proverb. When the scribes found themselves stumped on a particularly difficult Torah passage, they would explain... This is something that no carpenter, son of carpenters, can explain. There is no carpenter, nor a carpenter's son, to explain it. And it's in this such of a context, carpenter is a metaphor for a skilled expert. In this case, skilled in expounding the Scripture the theme of carpentry arises from their own perplexity, not necessarily due to an actual profession of Jesus as his life's work. So that's kind of an interesting nuance on this, isn't it? Another angle on this is the illusion of Scripture that God is the ultimate tecton, the craftsman of the universe itself. Paul describes Jesus as God's representation of creation, Through whom are all things, and we through him. Even further, in 2 Corinthians 5 1, it describes our bodies themselves as a house from the master builder, God. And if it is destroyed, we have an eternal house in the heavens, again, built by God. This oikion, this house, is the earthly tabernacle of our bodies which God fashioned, that is, he built as the tecton par excellence. The Greek word scanus here for body means tent, and is the same concept of the logos tenting among us in John 1.14. Kai eskenusen, ein he mean, he tented among us, or he dwelt among us. John 1.11 reflects Mark's use of the tecton, the carpenter, the builder, as it were, coming among us, the people. And it is the people who cannot receive him, ou par le bon, as Mark indicated. Richard Carrier also ties the tecton to Jesus, saying in Mark 14.58, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands, which is clearly an allegory for the resurrection. The Greek here is quite instructive as well, with the verb oikodomio, specifically applied to making buildings to erect, namely houses. So Bauer's lexicon says, literally, of real buildings. It has many other nuances as well, such as to build character in a person, uh, a carpenter of the soul, and so on and so forth. And this is perhaps how Mark plays with the Greek. Perhaps the wooden literalness, pun intended, of Jesus' audience at Mark 6 imagining him to only be a mere carpenter of wood and buildings is part of Mark's illustrative point for us his readers. This tecton is a carpenter, all right, but a vastly superior carpenter than just in earthly crass, materialistic goods. Jesus in the synagogue was building the heavenly knowledge to them from the scriptures, which they could not grasp. And in a double irony, they cannot grasp how a mere earthly carpenter can possibly possess celestial carpentry knowledge, as it were. It isn't all about Jesus' earthly vocation. Mark could have simply put it in as a description of Jesus in order to heighten the reader's appreciation of the denseness of Jesus' people who reject him. That's very interesting, isn't it? They are spiritually unable to see the true light, the true carpenter. And as John also noted, the true light, this Logos, Jesus came unto his own, who represented the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Mark displays this masterfully. Thomas Brody notes the context of Jesus' visit to Nazareth concerning miracles related to creation, life, and death. Mark 435 through 5 and verse 43. And this whole section of Mark has significant literary dependence on the Septuagint Greek Old Testament Book of Wisdom. Beginning at Wisdom 10, several chapters of this Book of Wisdom speak both of God's role as creator and life-giver and of the failure of many people to recognize God as the true Technites, the supreme craftsman. Wisdom 13.1, compare verse 32 in the same chapter. Wisdom is technites panton, the worker of all things. Instead, these people's vision is limited to the kind of vision found in the woodcutter, the technon, the tecton. That is all they see. In other words, the mindless people in Wisdom 13.1-9 do not recognize the technites, the supreme craftsmen, and they turn their minds instead to lifeless things such as the tecton produces on earth. And the audience at Nazareth do not recognize the presence of the Creator in Jesus, the miracle worker, but can focus only on the world of woodcutting and so they call him a tecton. Bors notes that Luke showed the Christological claim of Christ coming through his quoting Isaiah, something the people who knew him just didn't grasp. So their reaction amounted to a failure to recognize Christologically who Jesus actually was. Dunn shows parallels with first Enoch with Proverbs and the wisdom literature describing wisdom's relation to God in both establishing Earth and Heaven and creating man in God's image. The Gospels include Jesus as the Logos into this, and it is what the people missed because of their spiritual blindness. Dennis R. MacDonald shows another distinct possibility here Mark saw in Homer's Odysseus a prototype of a wise craftsman to categorize Jesus. Odysseus, too, was a tecton. Odysseus' handiwork reinforced his intelligence, his resourcefulness, and his wit. Carpentry was a metaphor for wisdom. The opposite is the case for Mark. And the earliest evangelist may be emulating Homer's hero, making Jesus even wiser and more powerful than Odysseus. Jesus' neighbors recognizing him as a carpenter, but his wisdom and ability to perform miracles far exceeded what they expected even from a skilled craftsman. Well, despite these differences, Mark, like Homer, depicted his protagonist as a wise and a powerful carpenter who had less honor in his homeland than anywhere else. Homer shows Odysseus being tektosuneon skilled at making his ship, though the little Scot lexicon means more specifically the art of a joiner in carpentry. Which Macdonald says he is an expert. So Dioclesus Stone, he also used Odysseus's carpentry skills to argue that the sage must not be adroit at oratory alone, but also be skilled in matters practical. Odysseus demonstrated competence not merely as being a capable speaker alone, but also as a carpenter, a builder, and a shipwright. That's in his oratio. Michael Grant indicates that there is a Hebrew or an Aramaic word for carpenter that metaphorically has the meaning of a wise man or a scholar. While he doesn't identify the word itself, I am sure that this is the word hacham. Josemius indicates the capacity of knowing enough to judge, hence skillful in any art. And he uses Jeremiah 10.9 to illustrate it, the maase kachamim, the work of skilled men. The connection is his number two definition where he says it also means wise or intelligent. The phronimos endowed with reason and using it. The range of virtues and mental endowments which were in Hebrew included by this word may well be gathered out of the history and manner of those whose wisdom became proverbial, namely Solomon, Daniel, the Egyptians, etc. At Deuteronomy one thirteen, we are told this means one of insight and experience. Wilson says the Aramaic word nagar could either mean a craftsman or a scholar, a learned man, and he is skeptical that Jesus was a carpenter. It's these little items in Scripture that hints to us to look again and perhaps find more than on the surface meets our eye. I think Jesus as tecton. Fits the bill well for this. So that gives us an idea on some of the specific ways we can approach and study Jesus through the understandings of his audience, through the understanding of his biographer, through the discussions back and forth of the ideas as they clash with Jesus and his audience, or as they mesh with Jesus and his audience. And this is one of the things that makes the study of the historical Jesus and the spiritual Christ so utterly fascinating with the New Testament. So thanks for watching my Backyard Professor videos. Be good, do well, have fun, be kind, read a lot. Because there's a lot more of this kind of stuff coming down the pipeline. And I'm the idiot that's going to show it to you. (laughs) In the meantime, you have a great day. And I will see you in the next Backyard Professor videos.